I have to be honest, I don't know if we should be here the rest of the hour, personally. <laughs> I feel like everything is, that can go wrong went wrong this morning. Technical, I don't know what, the internet's not working apparently, all kinds of stuff, so I don't know. Sometimes technology can be a pain. <laughs> all right, so what we had this morning um, in the sermon, let me see if I can, see if this will even work. If not, I'll just use this. Oh, let's see. I think that's why it's not working. Let's see. Now it's working. All right. That's all it took, fixing it. <laughs> all right. So we're, we're talking about a phrase in Scripture that I think we all know what it means, and yet it's like, but when you actually think about it, it doesn't make any sense to us. All right. So we're going to look at this phrase called unequally yoked. There was a passage that Garland just read for us in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Nothing is working today. Bible. <laughs> so in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, as we are we're looking at the text, we're, we're talking about this concept that is dealing with fellowship. And if you look closely at the text, there are some things that sometimes we impose into the text. Uh, sometimes we interpret it because of the wording that is in there very differently. In fact, um, one commentator had, I think, five different interpretations for this passage that we're looking at this morning. And, and so, again, there's all kinds of views with regard to this concept of what it means to be unequally yoked. And so if we kind of step back and look at what was going on with the, the church at Corinth, there are individuals who have become Christians and these Christians still have some ties to their past, and some of those ties include idolatry. And, and when you look again at what the apostle, apostle is saying, it's not just tied only to this text, but even more so the hearts of individuals. And so that's some of what we're going to be looking at when we look at this text about being unequally yoked. So this phrase about being unequally yoked goes back to the Old Testament scriptures. And when we look at what the passage is, is talking about, there's a definite link to this concept. Now, kind of washed out, so you don't get to see it very well. But what you're looking at is oxen on the left and a donkey on the right. They don't go together, right? And, and so there is some passages in the Old Testament that actually talks about this as a law. And we're going to see why that that law is given. In fact, when we're looking at that phrase unequally yoked, I, I guess I'd like to put it, it's not limited to King James. The word unequally yoked is the best English translation from what everyone is talking about. But it has this old English feel, like yoked? What is that, right? For many of us today, we're not growing up on farms, so we don't know what a yoke is. Some of us that I believe are young enough are thinking egg yolks. Right? I believe, yes, some of you are thinking egg yolks, like yoked together, right? And so there are, in fact, images I've seen of people being unequally yoked, and it was egg yolks that they're looking at, images. But we're talking about this, this picture here of this piece of wood that is tying or binding two animals, in this case, two human beings, together. So they are now yoked, Y-O-K-E-D, yoked. And when we go back to the Old Testament passages, we can see there are some scriptures that actually deal with this very subject matter. So 
Are we talking about something, whatever this unequally yoked being, does it mean we're supposed to be equally yoked with unbelievers? Right? That can be someone's interpretation of that. Is, is that what it means? We don't want, we're not supposed to be unequally yoked, so does it mean we should be equally yoked? Right? Or we're, are we talking about, does it mean we have nothing to do with people of the world? Is that what we're talking about with these unbelievers? Because if we're unequally yoked, what does that mean? Do we have any association with them? So those are the things that we're looking at. And when we look at the passages, we can see what's being implied and what's very explicit. For instance, back in the text in 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. And then he uses other illustrations to state what he means by that. He says, what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? They oppose each other, right? What communion has light with darkness? They are opposites from one another. What has Christ with Belial, right? The, the name, if you will, of the devil, right? Beelzebub, Belial, however you want to say him. What accord does Christ with him? They're opposites. What part has a believer with unbeliever? You've got one who believes Jesus is the Christ, another who does not believe Jesus is the Christ. And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? Right? Those are opposites. And in any Jew, going back, going back to our Bible study this morning, that was a problem with many of these Jews, that the Jews would themselves bring idolatrous worship into the temple of God. And that was, in fact, even known in the first century to have been practiced among Jews, right? That was part of the problem. So he then says, it's actually a sub-point of this, of this point right over here, but I want to bring this point out. He says, you Christians, you Corinthians, you are the temple of the living God. And as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. He's talking about this concept of having fellowship, Right? And so again, the very beginning is do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. So if we're going to look at this, and this is a very short lesson, if we're going to look at this, understand what it means so that we can practice this passage as Paul is using it in his own context for the church at Corinth, we apply it similarly in our context of how we're living. If we go back to the laws, for instance, in Leviticus 19 and in Deuteronomy chapter 22, Deuteronomy 22 verses 9 through 11, You've got two same laws, but they're worded a little differently. And I want us to look at both passages. In fact, I've got it written out in Deuteronomy chapter 22. And if you follow along, I'm going to then read from uh, the book of Leviticus and see what it's saying over here. Because naturally, Leviticus gives us even more insight um, to what these laws are about. Now, notice these are similar laws with a singular purpose. And if we are bringing our modern ways of looking at the text, what we do is we just simply have three separate laws and they're disconnected from each other. But the Jews didn't do that. They looked at these laws as having a teaching behind them. And what's understood is the passage of what the Apostle Paul is talking to us about. So notice, in Deuteronomy 22, verse 9, you shall not sow your vineyard with different kinds of seed. Lest the yield of the seed which you have sown and the fruit of your vineyard be defiled. Now, I'm not sure about you, but from a horticultural standpoint, my understanding is there's, there's actually no defiling that takes place. 
right? You put two different seeds and two different kinds of plants will grow in that area, right? They might be close together. It's possible that one would choke the other one out. But, but there's something about this that God is saying, lest the yield of the seed which you have sown and the fruit of your vineyard be defiled. So imagine you have a vineyard and you're growing your wheat crops, right? That, he's referring to something about a defiling that takes place. And then he says, do not plow with an ox and a donkey together. He doesn't give any reasoning. He just says, don't do it. But he gave you reasoning on the first law that should give you insight as to why. Now, we, we can understand from a practical standpoint, if we've done any kind of farming, that's bad news. If you put those two animals together, right? They don't work together naturally. Now, you might have some exceptions to the rule but that's the typical rule so here's the law don't plow an ox with a donkey and you shall not wear a garment of different sorts such as wool and linen mixed together why is that no reason he just gives an illustration of what two kinds of garments or threads put together he says don't do it now if you can look that there's a singular purpose you might get the idea of what he's talking about it's no different than when the apostle Paul was talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, when he says, you shall not muzzle an ox that treads out the grain. Why? He said, is it oxen that, that I'm concerned about? See, God loves animals. He made the animals. But his teaching was greater than not having the animal not eat the meat I mean, or, or eat of its labors. He had a principle involved. And that law, every time that law was being practiced, the Jews should understand the greater principle of that law. And that greater principle is no different than what the Apostle Paul said. Hey, listen, a man is worthy of his hire. Right? If you're going to be preaching of the gospel, he should be able to live off of the means of those who contribute for the gospel purpose. Right? He says that in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. So in the same way, these laws had a very useful reasoning it's not simply just where this like i think it was brought out in the lord's supper about the tassels that they serve as a reminder it's not just so that you look cool as a jew that you have tassels right they serve a purpose that is spiritual and the same thing with these things now if I, want, I want you to look at compare verse 10 of deuteronomy to Leviticus chapter 19. Don't you go there? Go with me to Leviticus chapter 19. So we can get my glasses on here. And I want you to look at verse 19, because verse 19 repeats these three, but not exactly the same. So he says over here in verse 19 of Leviticus 19, you shall keep my statutes. And then he says, You shall not let your cattle breed with a different kind. That's different, isn't it? Deuteronomy says you shall not plow with an ox and a donkey. Leviticus says don't breed the two, two different kinds of animals. And while we may give scientific reasonings why that should not be the case, and we may even give other reasonings why that should not be the case, God always gives or always wants the Jews to have a spiritual understanding that is associated with the law. The law, every time it is practiced, is supposed to bring about that spiritual understanding, right? So it's, 
you have the actual physical law and they should be practicing that actual physical law, but it's supposed to do more than just simply do a law keeping thing. It's supposed to bring about an understanding and an awareness. So the question is, what's God trying to teach in this passage? And what he's saying is, here is a context of people who have been brought out of Egypt and brought near to God. They've made a covenant agreement with God, Exodus 19. It was reaffirmed, Exodus 24. And it was reaffirmed again, Exodus 34. And, and Israel has this calling that they're supposed to be different than the rest of the world. They're supposed to be separate from the world. And every time these laws are being practiced, it should reflect that very concept. That they've been called out from among the nations, and God made himself special to them and they to him. And that's a very important understanding if we're going to understand what Paul is saying when he's writing to Christians, who he then uses as a temple people, as a priestly nation, in the same context. And that's the thing that I'm wanting us to finish and understand when we're looking at this, because it will affect how we interpret the text. All right? So in, in this passage, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, he's talking about us being unequally yoked with the world and not to be unequally yoked with the world, because notice Jesus was earlier teaching, right? He's teaching those to come to him and to take his yoke right? Jesus was wanting people to be yoked with him. And if I can go beyond the immediate context of that passage, what he's wanting every person to do is live like him. That's what he says. Take my yoke. It is light. My burden is easy. Doesn't mean that there is no burden. But when you compare the burden of what it's like to be separated from God... <laughs> to not have any blessings of God, then the burden of being with Christ is very, very light. And he invites everyone to be yoked to him. And it is with that concept that the gospel message has gone out, has been preached to everyone, so that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, who says, I, wanna, I want to be your child, I want you to be my God, that you are now yoked with God or yoked with Jesus Christ. Right? And that's the picture that the Apostle Paul brings into the conversation in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. In another way, he's saying the same thing when in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, when he says, you cannot have two masters, right? You cannot. Either you're going to love the one and hate the other, or you're going to love the other and hate the one. You just, you just can't have two masters. In the same way, you cannot be yoked to God or to Jesus and be yoked to the world. Just not possible, right? He's wanting us to think spiritually about these things, how it's impossible. It's like being unequally yoked. And so these believers contextually then in 2 Corinthians are being told to be reconciled to God. That's the whole purpose of this, what we call 2 Corinthians. It is a letter of reconciliation for a number of reasons. Right? Whether it's going after other gods, whether it's the fact that they are living like people of the world, or they're living like worldly Christians. That doesn't make sense. That's an oxymoron. To be a Christian 
who lives like the world? And so he's wanting them to be reconciled to God. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that's the whole, in fact, you start in chapter 4, he talks about the whole ministry of reconciliation, the gospel of reconciliation. That's the picture of Christians who would return to God because they were called out to be separate to God. Now, that said, go back to the text and read with me as we look at this passage, and we're going to make some final comments that shows what we're talking about with, with this passage. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, I'm going to reread the text, so I want you to read that with me. All right? All right. Verse 14, one more time. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? What fellowship has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. And as God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God. They shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. And then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you. And you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Very similar to Old Testament writings when God calls Israel to be his people. The question is, who are these unbelievers that he's telling them to be separate from? And what does that actually look like? So remember, one of the, the things in the earlier slides was, does that mean that once you become a Christian, you have nothing to do with the world? Because some Christians actually think this way. And they are raised on principles along these lines. And, and part of the reason why you have people who are known as the Essenes, they're people that took that passage very literally. And what they did was they lived in caves away from the rest of society because you're supposed to be separate, right? Have nothing to do with them. The, the moralities or the immoralities, I should say, the ways of living life, is very different with the world than they are with Christ. And I don't want to be influenced by them. So if we live in the caves or if we live like a community that is separate from everyone else, as Phil Barnes likes to tease me, a, a compound, right, of the Davises, where you just live separate kind of thing. And that's not what the Apostle Paul is saying. In fact, I can guarantee you that's not what he's saying because if you go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Remember, there was a brother in Christ who was living in sin. He's living like a person of the world. In fact, he's so bad that not, not even the world sins the way this brother in Christ was sinning, where he has his father's wife. It's called mom or stepmom, depending on the individual context, right? That's a situation here. That's bad. And he tells them very clearly about not having fellowship with such a one. But notice what he says very explicitly. And I want you to see the distinction here and then a further distinction in another context. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 11, look at what he says here. In verse 9, excuse me. 1 Corinthians 5, verse 9. I wrote you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. 
not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world. Wait. Don't have fellowship with sexually immoral people, but I did not mean you couldn't have associations with the sexually immoral people of this world. Here's what it does mean. Where it doesn't mean the greedy or swindlers or idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of a brother if he is guilty of sexually immoral immorality or greed or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or a swindler. Not even to eat with such a one. In this context, 1 Corinthians 5, he's saying don't have fellowship with a brother or if we can extrapolate, a sister in Christ who continues to live unrepentantly. Don't have fellowship with that person because that person is walking like the world. But I'm not saying don't have associations with people in the world. Otherwise, you'd have to go out of the world. Furthermore, you go to a passage like Titus chapter 1 and you read verse 5 following. And you look at the qualifications or the qualities of what makes a good shepherd. Right? An elder. And what you will see is he must be of good reputation with those inside the church and outside the church. If you're going to have a reputation outside the body of Christ, the people outside the body of Christ need to know who you are. They need to know what kind of reputation you have. I mean, that's what Paul is telling Titus. Right? So when you read Titus chapter 1, understandably... You're going to have relationships with. Paul uses the word associations with. So what is the difference between an association with the world and fellowship with the world? Because there is a distinction. And that's what Paul is saying. And when we get into what that looks like, then we clearly can understand what his intentions are when he says, do not be yoked with unbelievers or be unequally yoked with unbelievers. So, when you get the text of what he is saying here, he is saying that you have every, whether it's right, you want to say it, or responsibility to have association with people in the world for number one, you're wanting to share with them the good news of Jesus. Right? Number two, you want to love on them the way God loves on them. Right? God sends his reign on the just and the unjust. You can do the same. Okay? What he does not want you to do is participate in unrighteousness, in immorality. That's the yoking that what happens. And that's why when you're a Christian and if you're yoked with an unbeliever, the unbeliever goes the way of unbelief. He lives the way he wants to live. You're living the way God wants you to live. And therein lies a difference in the yoke. You'll be fighting against each other. That's why you have teachings, like some people will refer back to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 39, about not being married to an unbeliever. And so there's discussion about that, what have you. It's this idea of being unequally yoked. All right? And so... What he's not saying is that you are sinning, you're going to lose your soul if you marry a non-believer, but you're going to be unequally yoked, right? And what he's saying is you're going to have a hard life if you start living like the world when you've been called out of the world. In that case, you like 
live according to the world, you put the cross of Jesus to invalidity. It does not have any power to save one who does not want to walk with God. Because remember, the great commandment is to love God and to love each other. And if you're not walking with God, if you're not putting him first, then you're not going to look like him. You're not going to walk like him. You're not going to think like him. Instead, you will think like the world, act like the world, live, if you will, like the world. And that's not what you've been called to. You've been called out of the world. So, brethren, when we're talking about this concept of what that looks like, in my mind, as I'm sharing God's word to you this morning, it does not mean you have nothing to do with people in this world. That's the reason why we can go to the jail. We can preach God's word to people who, for lack of a better term, many of which, if not all of them, but I would say many, not all, right? Because not everyone is justly incarcerated. There are times when we get it wrong. That happens. But most of the time, it's because they have sinned such a heinous sin as to put them behind bars. Do we have nothing to do with them? Because many in society believe that to be the case. But the teachings of Jesus and the teachings of the Apostle Paul had nothing to do with staying away from people like, quote unquote, them. By the way, they are us because they're human beings. They've sinned, and guess what? We've sinned. And just as our sins are washed by the precious blood of Jesus, theirs can be too. And so that's why we go and share the gospel with them. We share it with our neighbor, who is an awful person. Right? We share it with them. But we don't live the life of an awful person. We don't live the life of someone who hates God. We don't live the life of someone who is very immoral. And that's the reason why when we need to discipline lovingly but firmly discipline our brothers and sisters in Christ who walk like the world when they've been called out of the world, that's who we have no fellowship with. Just as we would have no fellowship with the world. And that's what Paul is saying when he says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers so as you go out and live your life know that distinction right know it you can be around people you can talk to them you can you can eat with them right you can love on them but don't associate with the evil deeds that they may be living it's a huge difference and I begin, you begin to see that contrast as you continue your walk with God. You get to see what it's like to not be yoked with the world, but yet sharing good news and loving upon those people who are, in fact, of the world. Now, here's the reason why I share that with you. I think sometimes as, as Christians, we, we tend to impose maybe more on the text, and it affects then how we live our lives right? It had been said to me once by someone, I won't name anyone, that, you know, how can we, how can we have people who have been incarcerated worship with us? Because I wouldn't want them sitting with me or our children. This is a person who loves God, 
This is someone who wants to be faithful to serving God, that thinks this way. I believe there is a misunderstanding of, of this concept of what it means to be unequally yoked. And so I want to share that with you because there's mindsets like this among those who profess to be Christians. It does not mean we tolerate sin among brethren. What it does mean is we work with brethren who are weak with sin and we share with them what it's like to be unequally yoked with the world. Now, I'm not sure. Right now, the, your thing should be working. So with the song that we have, 284, it should be working. Um, I want you to, to take with you this message as you leave these doors and you go into the world because the world needs God. And I mean it as sincerely as I can say it. The world needs God. And at one time, brethren, you were in the world. And God graciously put someone in your life, whether it's a parent, a sibling, a friend, a neighbor, a co-worker. But God placed someone in your life. And in whatever that context was, he brought you into his kingdom by his loving, merciful grace. And now you can share that good news that you've received with someone else. So keep that in mind. Our song is, Jesus paid it all. He paid it all so that we would not be separate from God. We would not be separate from his light. But we've been transformed from darkness to light because of what Jesus had done on the cross. And I hope this song will then be sung out knowing that. And if you're here this morning, you've not put on Jesus Christ, by all means. The whole reason why we, we talk about being baptized into Christ is not just from a commandment standpoint. We're talking about from a standpoint that you are uniting your life with his death, right? You die to sin the way he died for our sins. You rise to walk in newness of life as he was resurrected from the dead. And that is why he told his disciples, go into all the world, make disciples. What? Make followers of Jesus. And that's how we are likened unto him and stamped with his image when we are doing such. And I pray that if you are in need of that invitation, that you will heed that calling. And brethren, if you need our prayers, by all means, we'd be happy to pray with you. Why don't you do that as together we stand and sing?